What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Meet the Critters. We are at episode 24. Again, we're still rolling. I don't really know how, but we're going to keep it going. Um, we have an amazing guest. I have been calling him my internet uncle just because he's been giving me great advice and I've been sending him inappropriate TikToks. So let's go ahead and bring him up. Tool man, Tim. I wasn't sure who the heck you were talking about. I was like, a great. I'm like, I, I didn't know if there was somebody behind me here in the hotel where I'm at. What's going on? But dude, it is a pleasure to be on here with you. I am every single day impressed with the stuff that you put out. Uh, yeah, your work ethic and the fact that we're, I was talking about you today, yesterday with Brian. And we're like, it just feels like Kyle's been here forever. So <laughs> I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on, man. This is awesome. No, I appreciate you having me on. And I appreciate this community. Like, it feels like I've been here forever. Like, I think I've really been only doing content like six months, maybe. And it feels, it's again, the longest six months of my life. And in that six months, my entire mindset of life has almost completely changed. Because it's like, do I need to film this? <laughs> like, that's now my go-to constantly. It's like, either, ooh, I should film this. Or, oh, God, I should probably film this. It's life, man. I'm telling you, content creation. I'm four years in now, and that's what happens. It uh, that's again. We I, I was out with uh, Brian from Lots Project and Sean Mills from Hack My Homestead today. We we're at nice. my property in Tennessee, working on a composting outhouse, and it was it was great. But we were talking about how it's just when you're done with these projects, you're like, man, we should have filmed more than this. But sometimes you're just in the middle of it, and you think, ah. It's just not, I, I just don't want her tonight. I just don't want her. Yeah. Well, that was, that was me today. It was, I had my in-laws came and took my kids for like four hours and I was like, I can get so much done in this time. Oh, and um, I was lucky enough. My wife was on call yesterday. So I had to cut up 113 pound black bear, but I still had to do all the grind. And I'm like, I can bust this out. I can clean the shop like, and just be back inside. Just having that like extra day to get stuff done in the shop is like next level when you got little kids. I, I gotta say, I love bear meat. I had a lot of bear hamburger when I was a kid, not, not a ton, but it was always around. And can, I just want to show somebody out right quick off grid ping. He is my neighbor in, uh, so where delinquents gully is, that's what we call the property that we bought down in Tennessee. He's my road neighbor. And I met him the other day awesome dude it's great to meet like-minded folks but awesome. he also has his own uh youtube channel so anyway uh a new buddy of ours and I, I wanted to show him out so he knows we see him awesome perfect i'll go have to follow him after this um but yeah like and the customer didn't want any of the bear fat and Ooh. i render down every ounce of fat i get just because it's a good resource to have and i was also thinking about bringing a bunch down to srf to give out his gun lube and stuff like that because you can use it for everything. It really is. It's freaking awesome. So when customers don't want it, I'm like, I will snag every bit of that. <laughs> but I went through and I was going to do, I'm going to do a um, bear fat rendering video and do like, I'm going to clean my slaughter gun and everything and show how I apply it and everything like that. But um, I meant to like, videotape me breaking up all the frozen packages and then grinding them and then like why I did this and that and I was like I have so limited time to get anything done I don't care I, I like I'll talk about it 
in I'll talk about it in post. <laughs> like we'll put it in there. I was just thinking, I know this is called Meet the Critters, but another great name would have been Chew the Fat. Just say it. Ah, that would have been a good one. All right. Well, get this get the dad jokes out of the way now. So. I know, I know. Well, it's it's bound to happen. Um, I know. Well, this podcast has taken like three like different evolutions since it's been a thing. Because it originally started with I was going to be like, all right, I'm going to break down a different breed of livestock mm. every episode. Like I'm gonna do the research where they came from, why they're why they were bred, this, that, and the other, pros, cons, and like processing, like if I've processed them, what they look like, or stuff like that. And I was like, this is gonna be, this is gonna be good. Like I'll be able to fill an hour of this for sure. And it was solo. And the like literally I clicked live and I looked at my notes because I had notes because it was an informational podcast. I'm like, you read at a third grade level. Like, oh, if you ever get a chance, go back and list, go listen to the first episodes of this podcast, and it is atrocious. I went through my notes in about five minutes, and then just, <laughs> uh, 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 and, like, possibly for a couple of them, I had probably had a little too much tobacco and was like, I, I, I don't, um, yeah, Yorkshire's, they're great, cool. And it was a nightmare. <laughs> Dude, it's it's cool. I, I tell people to not even bother. I think so. I, my podcast again. Everybody's take different iterations, oh, yeah. right? But I tell people just don't even bother with the first thirty episodes. I thought about going back and renumbering, but I, I didn't. Yeah, because they they were basically just what I was doing was I was hauling the audio from my little videos each day, right. just smacking it all together and throwing it up there. And I realized afterwards it made no damn sense whatsoever. And it was boring as all hell. So anyway, once I started doing live streams and interviews, it started finding its thing. But <laughs> got Haas in the chat. Chris Dixon, how we doing? Always good yeah. to see Dixon in there. Of course. Yeah, it's it's been it's been an interesting ride figuring it all out. And actually, who are my first I think my first guests were Two Chicks Homestead. I think they were my first guests that I had on. And it was because I listened to the episode you did with Aaron to mm. get her better at doing, like, hosting. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I need help with that. And Aaron wants to do more. So, hey, Aaron, do you want to come on the show and talk about rabbits? So then it was having people on and, like, okay, we're going to break, like, I'm going to break down with a guest a certain breed of livestock. And now it's just kind of evolved into, I call it a butch, like a farming therapy session because about halfway through it, every single podcast, it's like, why the hell do we do this? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> this is the most insane thing I've ever done. And you actually took your own advice and was like, screw this. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. We, I mean, what we can get into it wherever you want to start, but we definitely eventually we, yeah, you, you can only do so many things. And uh, I would say, yeah, homesteading is one of those things that can become, I need to do all the things really quick. And all the things, I mean, content creation can be an all the things uh, kind of thing, too. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, totally. I, I get you. And, yeah, wherever wherever you want me to, yeah. That's actually a cool place to start. I've asked this question a couple times, going back to, like, when I used to be on Josh's show, mm -hmm. of where is your line between you have, like, homestead? You have a farm, and then like some people will say farmsteads, but I don't really, I don't know if I put that one. But where is like your definition line personally with it? Because I know everyone kind of has a different thing. Because I would, 
I don't consider myself a homestead. I consider what we're doing farming. Sure. Just because we have like, I don't have as much as the preparedness mindset with it as I would like. We're getting to it now, but we're also, I'm at the point where, no, this is now going to be a major component in our financials of like income. I think that's where the line is with it. I would say there's probably two things. First off, farming's almost something you're born into. Not always, right. but it's a generational thing. Homesteading is typically something you choose. Now, now this is we're going to go into gray areas here. Because <laughs> as soon as I say that, here we go, <laughs> somebody's going to say, "But I didn't. I was born in it." Yes, I understand. So now I'm coming from my last decade of experience in Alberta. And if you'd asked me this 10 years ago, living on the East Coast, where farming, there is farming, so I'm not saying there isn't, but almost all the farming happening out there, happening out there would also be homesteading. Right. Because they, it tends to be the size of it as well, right? And I'm not, yes. again, now, <laughs> but in Alberta, almost everyone who farms, it's a generational thing. And it is a business or a, a livelihood. Now, they still spend most of their time on the farm. There would be a lot of, there'd be no way to put a line of demarcation between the two and say, here's farming, here's homesteading. But the majority of what happens on the prairies would be farming. Right. And I would say the smaller farms and the people who kind of adopt it once they hit their 20s, I would call more of that homesteading. And it And homesteading would have a, an overall, I don't know, uh, permaculture kind of look to it. It kind yeah. of affects your entire life. You know, your, your, your food raising, your food storing, just being overall prepared. Whereas farming quite often would be, hey, we put these crops in, we sell these crops, then we use the money to do whatever we want. Damn, I like your definition a lot. I'm going <laughs> to respond to it, but hell no, Rachel. I think I've made about 67 cents on Amazon affiliate links, but you know what? We're getting there. <laughs> we'll get you there, brother. But no, I I like your definition a lot. I do like that because it's. I've always said New Hampshire is interesting. We have a large <laughs> agricultural community, but not enough to warrant any decent infrastructure. Like it's it is a cluster half the time, but again, there is a very large agricultural industry, and I am getting to the point now where it's we are. I'm getting to the level now where it's like, okay, we're ramping up our production, but I'm also not going to raise animals in a like production setting where it's like, we've had to now, we've now had to make the decisions for the future where it's like, we have 14 acres that is essentially all hayfield and it's hmm. been an amazing blank canvas and we were hanging it for a while. And then this year with the cost of everything and the quality of our field, I was like, I'm not going to hate it. Like, there's no point. And we've made the decision to get out of beef because it's like, I can't afford it. Like, yeah. the amount these things eat in hay and the cost of hay, it's like, it's not worth it in New Hampshire where it's you take over 20 months to raise out a full steer. So we've made the decision to go fully into pigs. Hmm. And my, like, five-year plan is to essentially woven wire fence in the entire, it, like the entire 14 acres of my property or whatever is field, plant fruit trees and nut trees. We're not taking another, we're not taking another hay crop off of it. 
Like, we'll just continue to mow it until we get there and really start rotating pigs and stuff through it until we get to the point where the quality of our field is at the point that we can get back into beef. And even then, it's going to be at a very limited scale. But it's we've had to look at it now as like, again, a business where it's like, okay, where are we going to get the best bang for our buck and be able to turn a profit on this? I mean, all businesses are that way. The, the last, yeah. you know, three that we've built, all the same thing. Say so you look, you try a bunch of different things, <laughs> you know, you try and you pick the one that makes you the most money and you do more of that and you stop doing the things that don't make you money. But what's funny about what you talk about with, with hogs or with pigs is for years, I was always told there's no money in pigs. You can't, there was, you can't make a financial case for it. But that's because I was talking to commercial and industrial farmers. Mm -hmm. so, you know, they would say, look, look, look around. There's there's no uh, hog barns except for the Hutterites. They're the only ones that could do it on a scale to make it. Who are like Hutterites, like Mennonites or Amish or whatever. Right. They were the only ones who could do it at scale to make money. Whereas on a small scale, past, pastured pigs is what you're doing, right? Or, or yeah. For, yeah. Yeah. They work, or at least they seem to work yeah. compared to some of the other ones. You know, when we finally got out of homesteading, 10 years ago, I guess, we were just in the process of kind of fencing out about an acre section for it. We were hoping for a dairy cow. And that's when we realized, whew, we're in over our heads. A lot. There's a lot. <laughs> Maybe not, we could have done it, but the work, who the work? Oh, it's, it's, it's so much. It's like, we're getting ready to go to SRF. So I am like in full tilt, like getting everything done I possibly can around here. Luckily, we have a customer who used to be a neighbor coming to like feed all the livestock and stuff for us. But it's nice. like I'm in the process of completely re like rewiring a paddock to get it ready for pigs <laughs> that I have to move. Again, it's not far. It's like maybe 120 feet that I have to move these piglets. But you have to go through one, two, three different gates to get 10 10 week old or no they're probably 15 week old piglets into a new oh, paddock fair that might as well be you might as well be moving them across the ocean at 120 like it's it is so it's we're trying to figure all that out get everything prepped while also at the same time going it could snow while we're there like i need to get whoever's watching ready for that <laughs> you had see why did you have to go and swear i, I didn't know no. we could swear in the show and then you go and say the four letter s word i'm like yeah. what in the world it's tough <sighs> It's tough. yeah. It, I, hey, I told you it, it barely got. It didn't get out of the 40s in Provost today. So I think I think Becky said it was seven degrees, but felt like six degrees Celsius up in Alberta, where I'm from. Although I'm down here, and I went by. We, we finished up at like 4:30 working. I went by a bank, and it said 88 Fahrenheit at almost five o'clock at night. I'm like, eh, I don't really so, want to. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right, so we'll circle back a little bit. So what sure. did you guys raise? And like what time frame is are we talking about? I know sure. you talked so, about one of your shows, but yeah, 2005 I think is when we started. So uh, again, and this kind of goes part and parcel. Everything I've ever talked about, almost all the great things in my life started because of abject poverty. So <laughs> we were broke as a joke. If you guys ever want to know a really quick way to lose money, have kids or or be broke, I guess is the proper term. Or start a farm. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or do both at the same time. So we, yeah, we <laughs> back in 05, I met, I met my wife. 
and yeah and then 06 we got married moved in together we had uh at the time three kids and then soon two more came along afterwards but so we were doing this on eleven hundred dollars a month which when you think yeah that's i was making 550 dollars every two weeks as a I don't know, an, an assistant manager at a hardware. It was miserable. Anyway, so we, and there were times when our hydro bill, electricity bill was almost half that every month. Mm-hmm. So we had to, we always had what we would call like the laundry detergent shelf. So when it came on dirt cheap, we would buy as many as we could and we'd stack them high. And we always had the toilet paper closet, <laughs> which yeah. was, we all, we were just paranoid or scared that the kids would not have toilet paper, you know? So Anyway, you went full COVID in 2005. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what did we start with? So I had never built anything in my life. Uh, I, this is where it all started, really. it's the, Becky bought me a, it's like a $30 hammer, which was expensive at the time for us, really expensive. Now they have like $500 hammers. But anyway, $30 hammer was huge. And I built a chicken coop the day the chicken showed up or it was, you know how that works, right? You go get chickens and then you build a coop. It's just the way yeah. it goes. So. And for anybody out there who hasn't done chickens before, this is what happens. You, they're, they're a lot like uh, chihuahuas, for instance. You get one or two, and then you have to have 18 of them. So it's it's it's, it's called chicken math. It is. And, and the other everyone, thing is, oh, go ahead. Watching, chicken math does not translate. Do not get larger animals with chicken math in mind. I've said it a thousand times. Don't do it. <laughs> People, And here's the other thing is, other people have done the chicken experiment. They failed miserably. And what happens is, hey, Tim, Becky, you guys have chickens. Do you want more? And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> so, of course, and you never say no. You always take more chickens. I there's Yeah. So I figured it out. I did chicken division. I don't know how I did this, but I did it. It, was, it wasn't last year. It was the year before. It was our, like, last hurrah of poultry. And it's okay. like I got some turkeys. I got, what I got? I got 20 turkeys. And some guineas. Mm. I don't know why I got guineas, but I did. They were there, and we they did were, it too. And I was like, "All right, cool. Let's see how the awful. Don't get guineas. They are the worst things on the planet. Loud as all hell. It's awful." But I was moving all the turkeys or all the turkeys that survived out of twenty turkeys. We lost fifteen. Wow. Like ju- it was a bad year. Kept all the guineas and five five turkeys left. So I'm moving them from the brooder to the coop. And one of the guineas gets out and it pursued, it was a, a easy 15 minutes chasing it around the barn until it finally <laughs> snuck out from under the door. And I never saw it again. About wow. two, months, two months goes by. Uh, my neighbor's driving by and he pulls in and he goes, Hey, do you, do you have a weird Turkey? And I'm like, does it make an insane sound? Kind of like, cause I, all of a sudden I started hearing it and I'm like, it's not here. I'm not feeding it, but it's closed. <laughs> so he pulled in and it started as soon as he pulled in the driveway. I'm like, like that sound? He goes, yeah, is that yours? Because he saw the other ones running around. And I'm like, it escaped like months ago. He's like, well, my wife really likes it. Like, can we keep it? I'm like, I don't give a damn. Keep it. Awesome. So about two weeks later, he shows up. Hey, I'm going to catch this thing and bring it back. And I'm like, please don't. And at that <laughs> point, I had already gotten rid of all the other ones because they had started going in the road and getting hit. And I was like, I'm done. I don't care about these things anymore. Get them out of here. And I was like, ah, I don't have birds anymore. And he's like, you're just a bitch. <laughs> like, they're a lot of work. We, 
so we we had no clue what we were doing and we just we got layers and so we thought well what's the next the next thing you do you get meat birds so we would raise them in in my uh, garage and we i'd make a little pen they were very enclosed and the first thing that happened was do you have mink where you are little uh, uh like i think we do i don't i don't get them much here, they but. raise them for fur and stuff in right. where i where i grew up nova scotia and we got a mink in my garage one time and they don't eat the birds they just tear out their gizzards or whatever and you know eat the, the crumble and all the junk that's in their neck and so that's what happened we lost i don't know how many a half dozen or more right. chickens we just go in and their necks would be tore out so and so we, we were in, actually, Becky and I were engaged at the time. We weren't married yet. And so I took two weeks off for our honeymoon, you know, or get the marriage, you know, get married and enjoy some time on the homestead for a bit. And so Becky, you know, when, when we got married, she went and got these beautiful gel nails on her fingers. And I promise there's a point to this. And they, they, they look nice. They were expensive. I already know where it's going. <laughs> so it just so happened that on our two-week honeymoon, it was time to process the chickens. Uh -huh. So we're out there, and I think maybe we had 30 to do, 25 or 30. It was a lot anyway. And we get halfway through the first bird trying to pluck those feathers, and I just hear her cussing under her breath over there, snap, 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 pulling all those nails off so we could finish plucking the uh, the birds. So it was it was fun. I mean, we yeah, we did every – We my dad's a butcher. I don't know if – I probably might have told you that anyway. But So he, he would teach us how to, you know, I mean, first off, it was easy when you, you just gathered them and bagged them. But then you'd have to, oh, I got goat stories too. But that is true. The oh, Rachel, you nailed it. <laughs> Guineas are, yeah, they're like, you know how there's always one member of the family that's just odd? <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> I just seen Guineas at Off-Grid's, uh, Off-Grid Ping there. He they're, had a new play. thing. And they do awesome with ticks. But for me, like, in my mind, Guineas are like goldfish. Where yeah. it's like, I don't care if they live or die. Like, live on and prosper. And if you don't, I'm not going to lose sleep about it. We had them for a couple of years, but do they lay eggs? Or I mean, yeah, they lay eggs. I, okay. I hear they're delicious. I, I hear guineas themselves are delicious. Huh. My wife just liked them because they were the weirdest looking birds. They made funny sounds and they made her laugh. So that's that was honestly so. Here, here's the other thing. Whenever we would buy, want to get a new animal. For wow. me, it was, okay, how much is it going to cost? How much feed is it going to take? How much work is it going to be? And will we get a good return on the investment? Whereas my wife would be like, it's pretty. I want one. Let's get it. Ooh, and so that's. Candy. Ooh, piece yeah. of candy. Yeah. <laughs> and we, yeah. Anyway, so that's exactly uh, where we ended up. But yeah. But chickens were fun. And we, yeah. uh, where'd we go? Oh. It's the starter for everyone, and it should it should be the starter for everyone. They're easy, and like I'm not going to say cheap. They're fairly inexpensive compared to everything else you're about to get into. Like I would say, rabbits could also be the gateway drug. We never did rabbits because, again, the missus didn't like rabbit meat. Although we we hunted rabbit a fair bit on the east coast, which was fun. People laugh at me on the prairies. They're like, "You hunted rabbit? That's like you know." Yeah. emergency food right it was like no that was that we had a whole season for everything <laughs> yeah so we decided to graduate into goats from there so we had chickens and we thought so i need to preface this with we didn't own a tractor we did not own a truck um we didn't even own an suv all we had was a dodge neon 
Do you remember Dodge Neons? Of course I remember Dodge Neons. Well, not even the hatchback style. The, the, oh, it was done, awful. Yeah, that's some stupid it, shit in the Dodge Neon. <laughs> oh, so we used to go with three kids, a dog, and we'd go get two weeks worth of groceries and all the feed for the month. And we'd get it piled in there and come back. So we decided we, we wanted to on the way home. Oh, yeah. I know one. Yeah, anyway. Oh, so we went. We, we tried to find where we could get goats. And we found this old lady that was like an hour into the backwoods of Nova Scotia. And she's like, yeah, I have goats. So we went down and looked and looked. And, yeah, she, the price was right. It was like 100 bucks for a mom and her two babies. And she was nursing. I thought, oh, okay, we can, we can do that. Right. And barely. But we were able to make it work. So... I wanted to know how are we going to get it home? And Becky and I both looked at each other and we thought, are we, yeah, let's put it in the neon. No, we won't put it in the neon. So eventually the lady offered to deliver it for like an extra 50 bucks or something. And we had to take her up on it, but goats, they're great. We did, you know, we did the goat's milk. We did butter. We did cheese. We did yogurt, all the goat's milk soap. You do all the things with all the goats. And eventually you need to learn how to trim their hooves or they curl in on themselves. And this was 06. So even though YouTube was around, it wasn't really a thing. Right. So again, broke. Couldn't afford to hire a vet to do it. And we noticed they're starting to curl in. And so I think, well, you know what I have? I have a pair of uh, straight cutting tin snips, you know, like the little aviation snips. So I said, oh, we got to try. And Becky said, just be careful. So all I remember <laughs> is I go out and I snip. Her name was Precious. And I do refer to her. And it was fine. I do the second one and she starts bleeding everywhere. We're pan wow. like just pouring out, right? So we're going in and I think we only, if we had high speed, it was very slow. So we're going in trying to find a forum, how to stop bleeding on a, a hoof. So eventually we found cornstarch. And so we were packing it with cornstarch and it stopped the bleeding. But it was, you know, again, talk about putting the cart before the horse. Right. So you, you just do stupid things. Well, you and see then. Oh, go ahead. Yep. That eliminates. I, when we first started farming, I had two rules of I'm not doing dairy and I'm not chasing shit. So I already start out, started out with a promise to myself of like, I'm not going to deal with any animal that I have to milk twice a day. So I'm going to, oh, yeah. I'm going to cut that irritation off. And if it comes to building the paddocks, like the right way and probably a little more expensive. I'm going to do that over. We're just going to wing it and see what happens. Like I, cause I knew my, I know myself, I've known myself for 31 <laughs> years. I know who I am. So I set rules for myself at the very beginning that I've stuck to of like, we are not going to play these games. Like we're not. <laughs> so when I don't know, a couple months later, I worked at a, you know, I made the job more stressful than it needed to be, but it was a type of job where I always felt like I couldn't leave for a minute because I, I had to be there, right? So I, my I, wife called me. Yeah, so we we get, again, oh, I forgot to mention this. We didn't have a pen lined up for the goats. So we're like, we're panicking. We have about 24 hours and we go out and there's a woodshed attached to my garage. You couldn't get into the garage from, but it was there. And so we just scabbed together kind of a half a door so that if the doors were open, they couldn't get out, you know? Oh, but they can. So oh, they one can. day, Becky calls me. She's like, I can't find Precious. And I'm like, I don't know what to do for you. I said, I'll, I'll be home at supper time. So she calls me back an hour, an hour and a half later. And she goes, I found her. She got out of the house, across the road, up the hill, 
and into the old church cemetery and was running around having a time of her life. And she wouldn't come home until she was tired. And then Becky was able to just walk her back down after that. Just dumb. Like, suck. Again, there are so many go people out there and all the power to you. You have more sanity than I do. Yeah. But... My wife had a taste for homesteading before we met. So she was a teenager in high school. Her mom took the same approach to homesteading. You know, if it's pretty and cute, I want it. So they just bought a bunch of like, it was basically a glorified petting farm is what they had or petting zoo. And so one time, I think my brother-in-law got in trouble at school and the cops showed up at home at their house and we had there was this uh, french cop that i can't remember his name i wish i could but we'll call him andre i don't know what anyway so he had a handlebar mustache <laughs> with these pointy you know the points he'd wax them and everything and so he showed up there one day and there's animals roaming around everywhere and he goes to get up on the stairs and he turns around and the goat had got on the roof of his cruiser button at the lights and he's yeah. over there flapping at the at the uh, goat going down goat down goat down <laughs> That's if you want to know goat ownership in a nutshell. That's it. That sums it up right there. That's it. Yeah, it's I don't foresee our us ever raising goats. There was a there was a tiny moment in time there where I almost did it, but it was gonna be it wasn't gonna be like the cute cuddly goats. Right. It was gonna be boar goats, which are like they're a South African breed. They're kind of mean as shit, and <laughs> they just don't want to be interacted with, and just eat grass like. And that's what I was going to deal with. And I was like, no, no, we're not going to play this game. No, we started with cows. Like, I, we had chickens and all that oh, stuff. Wow. Like, we started. Our first major livestock, like, that we raised was cows. And I was like, now that we've done pigs and, like, continuing pigs, I was like, man, that was dumb. Like, <laughs> we had that's fun with cool. it, but. You can, yeah, because you're you're looking at. You know, you're going from this great big massive animal that you dealt with to something because a lot of times when you go from chickens or goats to pigs, that seems like a big step up. Right. But for you, you're like, eh, I know cows. So, well, that's just it. Like, the di like, I think the major difference with me is, and it's something that I always kind of like put out there because I do have people that are looking at me like, wow, you're doing a lot, like off the bat. And I was like, yeah, but I've, been a butcher for over a decade i've been working with large livestock for maybe not like maybe not all alive obviously but like i've been in the vicinity of large livestock enough that it's like i somewhat understand it and i can fill in the gaps as we go as i go along which now we're now most of the gaps are full which is kind of nice like i've been flying by the seat of my pants for a while now and it's hasn't gone completely catastrophic but now I'm like, oh, okay. Like now we're getting to the point where I understand what we're doing, how we're doing it. And again, being on my own and doing more of the mobile slaughter side, which I don't love to do, but I have been doing a lot and it's been aggressive. I, I said it on the last block or was it the last one might've been the one before I had a bull customer that came in. They, uh, they got the place that they were bringing them to pull them. They weren't going to take them because they weren't open it's a long story on that one that one kind of pissed me off but so he came to me that day and was like hey oh. i know like you're probably booked out but what can you do for me and was the animal dead already oh no 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 it was okay. uh i still have one more heifer to do for him but um he was like what can you do for me i was able to work it out 
like the next week I was going to be able to do one and pull up to, he lives seven minutes away. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll just come up like, and we'll figure it out from there. And well, actually, no, he was late to his appointment. And I'm like, <laughs> where the hell are you? And he goes, I can't get in the trailer. And I'm like, all right. Like, and then you get seven minutes away. I'll run up. I'll give you a hand. Like it is what it is. And get up there. He lives on like the roads up here are iffy as is, mm-hmm. is the first driveway on a class six road. Oh yeah. So he's on the mountain, like gorgeous property, gorgeous view, but these things are penned up in probably about a two acre paddock up a mountain. Oh. And we're trying to get these things in the trailer and I'm bringing them around. I'm trying not to trip down this thing. The bull we're trying to get busts out of the fence wanders about 150 yards out i gotta go walk it down and it was actually pretty funny after the fact we're getting i mean it wasn't funny it was a cluster (laughs) we're trying to get this goddamn thing in the truck in the truck with a small tractor i had to pull my truck up on a hill so the tailgate was lower so he could get the tractor up higher to get the pull in the truck but we finally get it in and we're sitting there and we're shooting the shit for a second before i drive home he goes yeah we were getting the fence pinned up and I looked over and I saw you knelt down about six feet in front of that thing. And I'm like, look, he goes, I looked at ring and I went, that's a crazy motherfucker. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> too much. But yeah, it's so being more comfortable with it is been awesome. Cause at the beginning of being on my own, I was still slightly terrified of like, again, I've only had certain access to large livestock for a while. A lot of it has been being around it, not actually being the one in it. So we're getting there. We're getting to the point now where it's like, all right, I kind of know your ticks and what's going to happen and if I need to bail or not. When I was a kid, my uncle had a, I guess you'd call it a hobby farm. He wasn't a homesteader, but so I would get down and they used to have the small square bales. So we would go haying, which at that age, the, you know, the idea was that you, you kind of watched as the adults stacked the bales on the on the uh, hay wagon and then you ride all the way back up of course he opened a new a new burn which was i don't know maybe two city blocks i mean this is in the country but if you wanted to measure about two city blocks away he had black angus cows and they were the most stubborn sons of bitches you were ever going to meet so we were two or three hours wrangling them up and i don't know why he thought it would be a great idea to walk them down the side of the road instead of putting them in a livestock trailer so i bet you we were a solid hour and he said, he didn't know what to do. He went into the old barn and got a great big leather strap. And he laid on the ass end of that cow. Nothing never moved. He said, I'll fix that sucker. And he went and got an old four-time friggin' pitchfork. Drove that thing right up its ass. It moved. But the damn thing, I anyway, the damn thing ran down in the ditch, straight under the fence, and back into the pen where we tried to get him out of to start with. Yeah. So it was... A disaster, but we got them there eventually. No, it's yeah, cows. I love them, but goddamn, they're dumb. They mm-hmm. really are. Like it's a problem sometimes how dumb they are, and sometimes they're so dumb they're mean. Like <laughs> they don't even know. I think, or they're just yeah, yeah. they're just assholes. <laughs> when you meet a really dumb person, they're either going to be really, really nice or really, really mean. You're just not sure which one it's going to be. It's got to be one. It's got to be one of the two. (laughs) 
So then you guys got pigs, right? Yeah. So in, so in the meantime, we so that that was actually a rental house because we were again we were young and broke, and eventually we moved a couple more times and settled. So we kind of gave up on the homesteading for you know well we always we always gardened, which was fun, and then eventually we bought our own home. And this was on the Bay of Fundy. So it was a beautiful area. It was a 130-year-old house, had 10 acres with it. But what it had was a lot of open field. So we started right away with chickens, you know, getting the gateway drug. And we get back in. Get back in. Uh, we built our own incubator and incubated. Yep. <laughs> get us going, right? So we did so we did chickens and then we did meat birds and then we did turkeys. And I remember one time they delivered, you know, they come in big trucks and the crates or whatever, and it was way too hot. And when the birds got there, they were soaked. And by that night, we'd lost like 90% of them. Oh, yeah. And they, anyway, they, they went good for it. But let's see. So, yeah, chickens. Eventually, we got into pigs. And we had a lot of, so, okay, this was right at the tail end of our homesteading phase. Or not, not phase, but there was a big change in life after, which we can obviously talk about. But right. so we, we had a couple big 50 by 50 gardens. We, we were doing... Two runs of 75 meat birds each year, which that's a lot of meat birds. We had, we had a lot of fun with it. A lot of meat birds. We did, I don't know, let's see, 15 turkeys and maybe 13 survived, something like that. We did good. That was fun. But the next challenge for us was pigs. Now, I will say the first thing I did when we started looking at pigs was I built a pen. So I did do that right. That was the first thing. <laughs> we didn't have running water out there, so we needed some water. So I built, uh, took a 55-gallon blue drum, yep. put it up on, a, I think it was an old office chair or something, whatever it was, and I bought an old used cattle water. You know those ones that go up against a wall, they're a bowl, and they put their nose in it, and it, yep. it opens. Yep. So I bought one of those, painted it up, fixed. Yeah, it worked. I got it like for 10 bucks or something. Nice. So I mounted that to the 55-gallon drum, and I stuck that through the fence so that the jackass pigs couldn't knock over the barrel. So I was I'll thinking... Play. Yeah. How quick did they destroy it? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, and then I built like a three-sided shelter for them. Right. And I was warned over and over again, make sure they can't get out. And I, I'll tell you, first off, they never got out of my pen. I built it tough. We drove, you know, old logs down into the ground. And I ran, in most places, I actually buried the page wire that we used yep. under the ground so that when they would nose down into it, they'd be like, oh, well, I guess I can't dig there. So that, you know, but... So this was the best part. Uh, you, and you know this, but I didn't know it. Somebody said they had wieners for sale. And I was like, that's a weird thing to say for hot dogs. And I'm like, oh, no, wiener pigs. So anyway, the night we were ready to go get our wiener pigs, we had three. I think. Was it three? Two or three. Doesn't, yeah, anyway. So we were getting ready to go. The neighbor backed into our vehicle by mistake, like to the point where they kind of crushed the front end of our vehicle. So it wasn't oh. drivable. Yeah, so we had to put off going to get the pigs for a day. We were driving Grand Caravans at the time, which, you know, that's as good as a truck anyway. So right. they give us brand new, whatever year it was, like brand new. Ah, uh, two, thank you. M Mama's in there tonight. She heard me. Yeah. So they give us a brand spanking new Grand Caravan as a rental. And we're like, well, shit, it's a rental. Let's go get them. Right. So I just put you got the insurance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like an hour up the valley. We, we put a blue tarp in there. And we just threw the little suckers down in, and they were fine. I they shit on it a little bit, but yeah, whatever. Man, it was a rental. The 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 method of transport, 
the method, methods of transport I've seen there. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the craziest thing I've ever, it is, I, it is unexplainable to most people, the ingenuity of guys that need their animals dead. Like you can, all, and you can always tell the people that it's like, Nope, we're just scheduling our appointment. We love this animal. We respect it. And it's going into our freezers so we can nourish us. And this, that, and the other thing. And then there's a dude that shows up with a pig in a recycling, rolling recycling barrel with the lid duct tape closed. And dude. he's like, Get this thing dead. <laughs> there's so there's some fun stories. I just just thought of something, so we'll, I'll, I'll tell you that as we go. But it was so there there were little wiener pigs, and we so we had this office attached to this old. I'm this shop. You had the front. It used to be some sort of like Masonic Hall or Town Hall or I don't know, but it was just attached to our property, and the whole roof was caving in, like completely. You could see through the sky, earth, you know. But the back end had a little office we could use. So that's where we raised our turkeys. Once the turkeys were gone, that's where the pig pen was until they got big enough. We had to move them out. Right. So the only pig feed they got was whatever the starter feed when they were very, very little. As soon as I moved them out to the pen, I realized pig feed's kind of expensive. Mm -hmm. And by the time we're done, it's going to cost us an arm and a leg. So what I'm going to tell you is by the time we were done, it only cost me 74 cents a pound. That wrapped everything from start to finish. And I thought that was pretty damn good. That's pretty damn good. I'm spending about at least 150 bucks a week right now in feed. So here's what we did. My town is very well. The, the one thing that you will know about the little town of Digby where I lived is it had probably more restaurants per capita than any other place. So I would go around on Sunday mornings after the Saturday night buffets at all these restaurants. My two favorite were Pizza Delight. They had a great buffet. And the um, Walk by the Bay had a great Chinese food buff. Oh, and Tim Hortons was the other one. You know right. Tim Hortons? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I would go by Tim Hortons in the morning. If nobody was out, I'd open up the compost bin. I'd grab all the bags of donuts, all of them, and I'd bring them back with me. And I'd go down to the Chinese food restaurant, and I'd pull every bag out of their compost bin. And then I'd go to Pizza Delight and I'd grab every bag and I'd go back and they ate so good. I bet I don't. Yeah. So I fed them off of restaurant waste. Oh, yeah. For the entire summer. And it worked. Well, now there's laws against it. Now, if you're selling them, you can't. We never sold them anyway, but. No, exactly. Yeah. But it's like, all right, what are you doing? For here? a little while, I had a buddy at the, the big grocery store. He would mm -hmm. bring me out a 55 gallon kind of garbage can on wheels of all the the produce that they would yeah you know which we, we did that we did that last year and, but it was like i got a crap day like i was picking up sundays and mondays oh and yeah like, all right like i had the kids sundays i'm not gonna because i'm not gonna go early in the morning like <laughs> for the day because it's you haven't done anything so there's gonna be nothing there and by the time bedtime rolled around i'm like there's no way i'm going out then so I let that lapse, but we were getting all of the scraps from the, uh, our oldest daycare when she was going there because they had a full commercial kitchen with a couple hundred kids. Wow. I would get like 30 gallon barrels daily. Oh, dude, that's, that'll and, do it. And half of it was milk because they would just open the jar, open the bottles and toss it in the bucket. So it was like, oh my God, milk raised pigs on bat. Oh, it was so freaking good. But this year, I'm just a homebody. We got the kids home. We got the kids home from school. Um, actually, the oldest is going into preschool, which is terrifying. 
but I don't have I don't have those routes of getting extra food at the moment. And with everything else going on, I haven't been able to go out and make more contacts of like, okay, like I need to figure this out. And all the ones I do, they just never end up panning out to where it's like, it's not worth it for me to drive this distance to get in this need. Like the stores, I understand their end of it too, because there's so many people who will say, I'll be there and they don't show up. No, exactly. They put the kibosh on it too. The dude got in trouble after a while. I felt really bad because it wasn't his fault, but corporate's like, no more because lawsuits or something. People are going to eat it. And I would tell him, I'm like, I'm not going to eat it. And then we take home all the garlic and dehydrate it into like oh. garlic powder. And yeah, I mean, you know, we, of course we, anyway. Of course yeah. we did. It's free food. Yeah. Yeah. I never sue them for it, you know? No, but it's like, I'm still, I still know that I like the manager of my local grocery store is actually the manager that hired me 13 years ago or whatever when I yeah. started working at Hannaford. So he calls me if it's like, all right, a whole pallet of watermelon went out of date or like pumpkins. Like it's no one's buying pumpkins anymore. Come get them. And it's like I have that kind of same um, relationship with most of the store like managers and owners in town just because of just me. I'm a charismatic person who's going to go in and I think I can get something from you. So I'm going to be your friend for a while until I can get that. (laughs) Yeah, okay, I get you. But yeah, no, and it's, it's, again, it's what you talk about a lot is building that community too. Like being able to, we go, like when we go to the grain store, we go to the grain store every Saturday to pick up um, feed, me and the two girls. My two girls are squealing to get out of the, out of the truck when we pull them into the parking lot. They're like, the oldest is unbuckled, like before we even get parked. She jumps out. She knows all of the guys who get the grain in the back, knows all of them by name. They'll they'll go in, get snacks. They go behind the counter and play. They run up and down the aisles. Like the the manager the other day was just like, yeah, these are my adoptive adoptive kids. Like, but it's it's amazing to have that community and it just helps you out in the long run. They've thrown so much business my way because it's the grain store. Everyone Everyone who I need to deal with deals with them first. So that our next door neighbor down Digby Neck, where we lived at the time, that's exactly what ended up happening. Because here's what what happens when somebody who drives a grand caravan, who doesn't have a tractor, doesn't have a four-wheeler, decides to buy pigs. Well, they're cool when they're 30-pound wieners. Mm -hmm. But when they were, I think, 200, 250, whatever they were, they were about 200 pounds or a little better each. So processing day came and we're like, what are we going to do? So I had built what was going to be a set of uh, a place for swings. So, but they were, I, man, I, I always over-engineer things, but they were six, six by sixes. They went down in the ground and they had a cross member on them. So we knew we could hang the pigs there. Right, so that was the first thing. So my dad, of course, grew up on a farm. So, I mean, yeah, he's family, but he was part of the community. My uncle, wanted the he's like i'll come and help if i can have the brain and i'm like yep you can have the brain yeah he wanted to make head cheese and he did and my next door neighbor was like hey um i'll come over he said when uh when we need it i will drag the pig we'll shoot it in the pen i'll drag it over to the hoist and i'll lift it up with my tractor i'm like sweet so of course i give him some of the meat anyway of course but dad said you (laughs) dad had always warned me he said you could use a 22 and it could work or it could graze off their head. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, 
frig that. I got a, I got my 30-30 out and shot the thing from like four feet away. I couldn't hear for like 15 minutes because I, I oh, yeah. you know what it, you know what it's like. And it, right in close space, it bounced back at me. It wasn't like you're shooting long distance or anything. And, oh, doing yeah. a livestock trailer. That's real fun. I'm good. I I every time I forget my headphones, because I will, I'll just be like, all right, cool. Just about to go shoot another animal in the head. We'll just jump in, pop this real quick, and we're done. Cause I'm I've just lost my soul at this point. And every time, every time it happens, I'm just sitting there, ears ringing, and I walk out. And all I can think of every time is that scene from Black Hawk Down where the guy almost gets hit with the RPG and he runs up, are you okay? Are you okay? And he's just sitting there going, I hear bells ringing. <laughs> I just jump out of the trailer. <laughs> so by that time, the Grand Caravan had been fixed. We hauled the pig up, heated it up. Uh, they, Dad's like, skin it it'll be easier than scraping it and it was you know so we did so we took care of all that and we we hauled the everything all the the left behinds up in the woods and that was fine but of course we still had to get them to the butcher and speaking of uh, you know community he was best friends with my dad they'd worked together for many years his name was donnie so anyway we again a beautiful blue tarp in the back of becky's nice grand caravan we rolled both pig carcasses up and slid them right in the back of the Grand Caravan, took them up to dude's place, hung them for was four or five days. The best part was he said, I'll give you a deal if you guys come help at the butcher's shop. And I was like, to me, I'm thinking, I mean, he did give us a good deal, but I would have been like, I'll give you a deal if you don't come hang out at the butcher's shop. You know what I mean? But, but it was awesome because, you know, I'd grown up around it, but I was always young when, you know, by the time I was old enough to, go into where dad was working it wasn't legal anymore right because they had everything locked up so donnie he just has your old-fashioned butcher shop and so we went in and he from start to finish he had us cut it down he had me using the bandsaw the grinder all of that and had us packing and wrapping and by the time i was done you know i didn't know everything but three years later we had moved across the country i was in well not even three years but three years later is when i started hunting again and you know what I went out, shot my first buck, brought it back to the garage, and I thought, I can do this. And I did. <laughs> you know? it's, it's such an empowering feeling because now it's like, oh, I can just get my own food. Like, I can sure. get my own meat, and I'm able to put it in a way that I can eat it, like, successfully and be able to store it and continue eating it for a while. Like, when you first get that, like, feeling, and it's like, oh, this is amazing. Like, this yeah. is crazy. <laughs> Because I know I've had that, I mean, again, I've been doing this for about a decade now, and it's like the first, my first cow that I raised that I put into the cooler, I was like, whoa, this is like full circle. This is nuts. Holy crap. Like, And we honor the animal, too. That's, oh, you know what I mean? That Yeah. It, it, you can think what you want from wherever it is. I remember the, I, I still remember the feeling I had the very first chicken that I dispatched. I, you know, the old double bedded axe came down, sunk itself into the, the chunk of wood. And I turned around and I leaned over. I didn't throw up, but I was weak in the knees for a minute. And dad said, it's okay. He said, you'll feel that way. And he said, if you didn't feel that way, I would, I would be concerned about you, Tim. And I'm like, I appreciate it because we joke and we carry on, but when it comes down to it, we honor the animal, love the animal until it's gone. And then we love it again when we barbecue it. So there's that. Yeah. Um, 
Canadian Farmstead in the Critter Crew chat in yeah. Telegram. Um, he was in there today and he did, um, just did his first rabbits for the first time. And he's like, that was, that was tough. And I, and I like jokingly was like, yeah, well, once you lose your soul, it's not really that bad. You'll, you'll be fine. And he goes, I don't think I ever want to get to that point. And I'm like, you don't like, I'm just a monster. Like you're fine. Like I'm just giving, giving you a hard time, but it, it's tough. Like it's really tough. And it's, I think there's a stigma on, like, and I, I made the joke myself. I make the jokes myself. Like, I have that. Like, if you follow my TikTok, I'm calling myself a livestock assassin, giving out high-speed lead injections. Like, it's a bit of a joke to me because I've been doing it for a very long time, and it's part of the job. But it's still also a very emotional experience. And it's, I always say, because it's, I'll get hate sometimes, be like, I don't know how you can just kill it and just, like, whatever. It's like, you just don't care. And it's like, you don't think I don't care? Be there for a day I miss. Be there for a day that that animal twitches its head oh, yeah. at the very last second. And you're in what feels like an hour span of time before you can get that second shot off. It is the worst feeling on the planet. And I would never wish that feeling on anyone. So it's there's, there's obviously a gray area. <laughs> I'm on the farther side of it. But if you don't have that feeling, you're right. <laughs> like... Yeah, I'd be worried about you if you didn't feel that way. I mean, the military, you talk to most military, and they have one of the darkest sense of humors in the world. It doesn't mean that what they have done or seen doesn't affect them. It's just one of their coping mechanisms. And that, that you know, my son worked in a, a slaughterhouse for two or three years, and he had to turn that switch on, too. Because if you don't, I think it could wreck you. Oh, it it absolutely does. And it's... The thing I always say, and I've I've kind of st I've stole this from Steve Ranella, the guy uh, who does Meat Eater on Netflix, great yep. show if no one's ever seen it. Um, and he there's a YouTube video of him having a conversation with a vegan, like a vegan came to a book like a bookstore where he was doing a talk about one of his books as he was putting out. And I heard him actually talk about this recently. He says he sat there, he listened to his whole thing about the book, and waited to the question and answer period. And then asked a normal vegan question of like, how can you do this to this peaceful animal, this, that, and the other. And what he said to him, he's like, I can guarantee you, I know more about this animal, not just as the singular, but as the overarching animal that this is. I know more about it and care more about it than you ever will. 100%. Dedicated my life to get to the point to where it's, I understand how this animal eats, sleeps, when it's comfortable, when it's happy, when it's sad, when it's uncomfortable. I know everything about it. And I did a TikTok about this a little while ago too, but it's like, if I'm the person that's going to be putting it down, I would rather have it be me because this animal see me every day of its life. I don't need it stressed out at all. So it is what it is. <laughs> a couple of years, it, similar, but a little different, but uh... My son's uh, cat got really, really sick. Yeah. And like to the point where it had to be put down. And he did not. And I mean, he, you know, he was 24 at the time. So I, I was, but this is the first time he'd lost an animal really close to him. And I, he's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I said, dude, you have to honor your animal. And I know this is a pet at this point. I said, you suck it up, go in there, sit with it. And when it's passed, then you can be upset and do your thing. And, 
he's thanked me multiple times since because of it. Because it's not easy. I'm not saying it is. It's so it's hard. hard. I've cried at every dog we've put down. Sure, and I've yeah. Every single one of them. And I've still cried every time. Um, when we when we had to put down our boar, I cried like a baby. Because I, I obviously took the shot. And I'm like, I had to turn Aww. around and be like, shit. Moa's like, you crying? And I'm like, no. And we talked about it after. Yeah, and I was like, there's, and there's, again, there's, we've talked, we talked about this kind of all the way through it. There's different grades of it too. And what that animal is. Pets are always hard. They always will be. We had a Chihuahua that was 15 years old, diabetic, had two strokes. Looks like it'd been kicked down the stairs because his ribs were all screwed up. And that thing, it, this is actually an awful story. And I'm probably, I am going to tell it. Uh, it was diabetic. And when it would go low, we would have to, we had like those little cake icings, like the little gel ones that we would have to sit there and like squeeze straight sugar into his mouth to get his sugar up. And my wife keeps telling me it wasn't my fault, but I will say it's completely my fault to this day. Well, the next morning, he basically, his number was through the roof and he died on the way to the vet. Aww. And I made my wife wait to bury it. And I was like, I will bury it when I get home. And she's like, it's pouring rain. I'm like, I don't care. I got home at like 830 at night. And turns out when it's already raining, no one can see you cry. So I'm just sitting there crying, digging a hole in the backyard, like fucking Chico. <laughs> but it's again, I like um, when we put that board down. I shed a tear a bit, and it was like one. He was like he was the sweetest pig I'd ever owned, and he looked like he'd murder your entire family. Like he was just a good pig. But it was also the fact I had based my entire future pig industry, like pig production. On this boar, traveled to Vermont to buy him, like planned everything out. Everything was on the back of this boar, and I just shot it in the head. And it's like, oh, uh. <laughs> I how I didn't. Um, so did you did something change, or was it? it um, I, I think it was a combination, and again, my fault. Everything that happened is my fault. It's a combination mm -hmm. of things. I think it had gotten into something. We found uh, a little section where there had been some buried, like, um, hay, like round bale plastic. Oh, that yeah. Like he had gotten into. It was, I had just moved him into a new paddock and hadn't established a good wallow for him yet. And it was, like, middle of the summer. And he was a little chunky. He was, he had some weight on him that I should have managed better but he had been in with the sow for a long time so food rationing wasn't perfect and this that and the other so i think it was a combination of because when i i did a necropsy on him after the fact because i was like i'm here like i might as well and he was very impacted um but also i think it was a combination of being impacted heat stroke and just the fact he was too chunky and it was 95 degrees out and he was a black mm -hmm. pig like so but farming <laughs> were you able to eat it no okay we had already started we had already started on penicillin okay it was like we're not gonna we're not gonna play this game by the time that we did put him down it was like nine o'clock at night it had already been like we were on our we had literally just put the kids down and we're getting ready to give them an enema like that's how far we were about to take this and then i went out there he was still alive he was laying there and i was able to this like this pig was 
I should have weighed him after the fact. He was a good 400-pound pig. And I was able to grab his back leg and just lift it. And he just looked at me like, and I'm like, okay, we're done. We're not going to. And it was also just me and my wife. And his cutters were about six inches long. And I'm like, I don't need my wife on the other end shoving a hose in this thing's butt and having it swing around and do something stupid. So we just made the decision to put him down. But now we have Nino. We have his son from this litter. So his name was Senor. So his son is Nino. (laughs) Fair enough. Right. But, but yeah. So, well, we're that hour went by real quick. <laughs> hey, no worry. I, yeah, I, 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 that is one thing I'm really good at is filling time. No, I'm just kidding. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I like telling stories. I like sharing. We've been everywhere. I, I know you'd asked me right about, uh, having like a kill switch or being, you know, when, when we made yeah, the choice. Yeah, yes. Do you want me to? No, absolutely. I mean, okay. we have really no time limit. <laughs> so we, 10 years ago, and here's the thing, um, homesteading can be a thing of freedom, but it can also be a chain around your neck. And what we ended up doing was we were trying really, really hard to dig ourselves out of a hole. The problem is you can't dig yourself out of a hole. You've got to put the shovel down, and we just kept digging and digging. In other words, we kept spending and getting ourselves further and further so eventually we had to decide, what are we going to do? We are like, I, I got to find better work or we're going to lose the house. And better work did not exist in our town for what I wanted or what I could even find at the point. It's not an excuse. It was just the reality of the situation at the time. And sometimes moving away helps. So basically we had to put homesteading. We, we had to, we had to choose, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to, we're going to devote ourselves to homesteading and trying to do all the things instead of working to pay for the things, or are we going to work? So I ended up hopping on a plane. You've heard the story before. Drove, you know, flew all the way across the country and got a job in the oil patch in a a rural but not rural community. You know, kind of a suburban kind of area. So we moved. Everything changed. We, but here's the cool thing. It took a few years. Yeah, it took. Uh, you know, we even kind of drop the prepping thing for a couple of years because what had happened was we were doing a little bit better financially so we didn't have that motivation of being poor (laughs) right but then you know it's funny after a couple of years it all started coming back a little bit and so we we will occasionally do some canning then we do some hunting you know food storage built some raised beds it's never really left for us it's it had to change because if we just stayed, and this is not for, I'm not saying this for everybody, but if you ever find yourself, like you've dug yourself a hole and you're still digging and you're wondering, am I going to, am I going to be able to buy milk for the kids or do I have to buy chicken feed? Then you might not be in the right spot right now. And that's what happened to us. And so we, we were trying, we wanted to make it work. We wanted to live the off grid thing. And eventually we realized, you know what? There's more than one way to find freedom. And what ended up happening in the long run was we found freedom through entrepreneurship. So we ended up building a bunch of businesses that we loved, different, but it still empowered us to make the local connections, to buy meat from our local butcher, you know, um, a side at a time. We have the Hutterites around now that we can buy bulk vegetables from if we want to can things. You know, I, I know a guy who makes liquid fuel 
a couple hours away that's really good at that. I've got a honey supplier. You know, there's no end to once you make the connections. Mm -hmm. And for us, we've now, here's the cool thing is we've gone full circle and we built freedom. So I just, I'm on a 36 day road trip right now, which awesome. five years ago, three years ago, I couldn't, two years ago, I couldn't have done mainly for scheduling, but now scheduling and income for us. So I'm traveling around speaking at events, but here's the cool thing. We turned that into <laughs> an off-grid property in Tennessee, which is about as far from Alberta as you can get. And so we're kind of heading back into that direction. Will we ever be full-time homesteaders again? Uh, no, I don't think. Unless the entire world collapsed, then maybe we'll have to refresh some of the skills. But what we are going to do is, you know, I'm thinking half a year at a time we'll be living down there. We'll, we'll, we'll make really good friends with our neighbors, like off-grid ping, for instance. We'll build a community down here. We'll find, we'll make connections. And that's where our life's taken us. I told I told Brian because I've been um, he's been having some consulting stuff like that and he's been asking about because um, for him doing his hip camp stuff yeah. so he's been asking me some like farming related questions of like okay if you had this property what would you do with it and like if they wanted to do something what do you think would be the best option so we've been talking back and forth about that and like like you've been putting up some progress and stuff like that and he's been putting up some progress on the property I'm like man if you can find someone to kind of do what you're trying to do with those other properties of like having someone on the property, like managing pigs that are there, you'd have so much, you'd have, you would have your land cleared out so much faster. You'd be oh, getting, wow. rent. you'd be getting rent more than like, right. I mean, again, you need to talk to Brian more about this. I'm just a dumb hick. Oh, yeah, it's tons of animals in his garage, but it's like, you would be able to clear out way more land faster. And be making an income more than likely on some type of lease agreement or something. Becky would love that because yeah. we would like to have some animals, but we can't be down here year round. So maybe it'd be something you could work in with a few chickens again or something. Right. So, yeah, well, I mean, that's something where it's like, especially if you guys are looking at the hip camp direction kind of too, mm -hmm. like trying to do like that, it's because it's where we're looking at starting to do some hip camp stuff too. And nice. it's, I'm trying to redesign my pens in a way too, where it's like, oh, look at the cute pigs. Why you can see them right for our campsite. And it's like, yeah, people like, if it's a good spot to camp, awesome. If you get to look at pigs and cows or whatever while you're there, added benefit. There's another 10 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a view of the woods or a view of the, uh, the, the pork? Well, if you want pork, it's an extra 10 bucks. So there you go. Right. There you go. Um, but yeah, no, there is there is an absolute point where you have to go, okay, I can't do this anymore. And it's I've talked to a lot of people who are so gung-ho about it, but also they don't have the mindset. They think they have the mindset, and they don't. And I'm not saying this is you. I'm just saying this yeah. out loud uh, where it's like there are so many people that it's like, I want to get this, and I want to do that, and I want to look at them and go, you aren't – you don't have the connections – that need to go here and here to make this make sense. Like, I understand what you're doing. You're doing it completely wrong and not listening to a single person about it. <laughs> you shouldn't do this. And what I say to those people is support your local producers that are doing it. 
Like there are so many, you don't have to go out there and raise nine pigs. If you no. do, fantastic. Give me a call. I'll cut them up. I don't care. But, or you can go ahead and buy your neighbor's pigs or another local guy, because guess what? We need the money. <laughs> like <laughs> We are trying to, we've, we have figured it out to a point where it's like, all right, now we're selling this stuff. Support a local business, a local producer, and be able to have a better feeling about where your food comes from because you drove past it on your way to work every day. I mean, you listen a tag for life done free. I mean, their their entire community, their freestanding community, is to become as free as possible. But they all say the same thing that being as free as possible, it's all in order to create everything you possibly need, you would work from sunup to sunset. 365 days of the year, and you probably still wouldn't do it. But another way to do it is to find the thing that you're good at and then get involved in that circular economy. Build your own local community. For it, I, I say that last year I did the snow removal. I just sold my snow removal business. I did the snow removal for our local butcher. That was $1,500. My side of beef was $1,700. So we all I ended up paying out of pocket was $200 for a side of beef. So. Absolutely. That's the way to do it. My my hardware store, same thing. Mm -hmm. I did the work for them. He just put the amount on my account. And then I used all of that toward our rental property. So again, when you have that connections, that's the way to do it. And it's, that's the way we've chose to do it now. It makes life so much easier and like mentally less straining. Sure. Where it's like, oh, like, all right, I don't have to fork out $1,600 for this. But I have a half a pick, or I have a cow that's going in the freezer. I'm putting half in my freezer, and I was going to sell the other half, but I didn't have that money anyway. So if I can just do this, perfect. Like that works out great. And we, everybody goes into homesteading looking for freedom. But here's the thing it, it can be another form of slavery as well if you're not careful. Because oh, yeah. like you, Kyle, you've got a thousand things you have to do before you leave. And that's okay. The, the thing is, we all just have to pick what our connections, what our things are going to be. And for us, time freedom was huge. So getting a, a full-time crazy homestead at this point, not something we're going to do because we want to be able to travel and I want to speak at events and I, we want to come down to our land down here. So everybody needs to figure out what their definition of self-reliance, independence, and freedom are and just go balls to the wall and do it. Right. And, it, and you're right. It is about... How, how much time are you willing to put into it? And that I think that's a better way of explaining what I was trying to say, where it's you don't have the right mindset for what you're trying to do. Hmm. You can't. I mean, I guess you can, but you're probably independently wealthy to where it's like, <laughs> I'm going to have all these animals that I love and we're going to have an awesome business with them and they're going to be amazing. Also, I'm going to Italy twice this year and this, that and the other because it's not. I haven't been on a vacation in five years between kids and farm. <laughs> I don't know. I think at that point, I don't know. I don't want to judge anybody, but I wouldn't be enjoying it either because oh. you'd either be, you'd always be thinking, oh, I got to get all this done before I can leave or I got to deal with it when I get back or yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I sure there, there would be the few that could do it, but there for are for sure. every average Joe, you've got to figure out what your meaning, what your freedom is and then run after it. And it might be, building the business to, to make enough money to be able to support all of the other people who are also building a business, making money, and 
doing their little segment of freedom in their life. Right. Yeah, it's important. And again, I'm <laughs> I'm the gray area where it's like <laughs> I have the shop. So it's I told my wife when we when I left my full time job, I'm like, if we're doing the shop full time, we're doing the farm full time. Because you know the only way to guarantee putting meat in that cooler is if we raise it ourselves. Like mm-hmm. so it's we have the flexibility and the ability to work things in a different manner. So it's I do try to remember that when I'm giving advice to people and talking to other farmers and stuff like that. And I've had farmers that have been doing it way longer than me look at me and go, oh, all right, I see what you're doing. Like, good for you. Like, you found you found the way. <laughs> you found the cheat code of where it's like, oh, yeah, you don't got to pay that couple thousand dollar bill once all your cattle goes into the freezer like you don't have to pay that it's like no i sure don't (laughs) must be nice no it's not (laughs) (laughs) that's what they always say must be nice. yeah just stay away from the must be nice people uh i oh and my favorite is the people who go you must be saving so much money raising your own meat yep that's it what (laughs) i'll let you know when it starts coming in but yeah. yeah yeah exactly uh, well, Tim, where can people yes, find you? The workshop. If you type Toolman Tim into YouTube or all the places, at this point, you'll find me. I, I show up in most places before the old Tim the Toolman Taylor shows up, so that's kind of cool. But, yeah, if, you, if you're into, you know, self-reliance, preparedness, entrepreneurial mindset, then, yeah, check out what I like to call workshop radio. It's, uh, I don't even know. It's a combination of talk radio, inspiration, what I really pictured as, as, you know, the old AM radio that used to sit on the shelf in everybody's shop. And every time you'd go in, it would just be playing. It was the soundtrack to getting shit done. And that's what it is. So I want to inspire you to do great things. Plus talk about tools and all the other jazz. So workshop radio, or just go by Toolman Tim's workshop on YouTube. And I got a ton of gear review videos I do there weekly. Perfect. I know I watch, I watch most of your lives now. So I don't Thank listen you. to the actual podcast, but you've cut you've cut quite a bit bit of beef with me just in the shop. <laughs> I appreciate it. that. That is what I love to hear. So thank you, brother, and thank, oh. dude. It was an honor being on here. So dude, I, I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank you so much. Like it's it's been a whirlwind of like all of this, like bec- coming into the community and kind of spreading myself out onto different platforms, different podcasts. And the support that all of you guys have given me has been amazing. Like it really has. And the opportunities to be on a bunch of shows. You're doing great. I'm proud of you. I, like I said, you just feel like you're part of the furniture now and you're doing great things. And your TikToks crack me the hell up. The ones, I, yeah. <laughs> it, it, sometimes, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I want to go see Kyle's TikTok. Be like, video not available. I'm like, yeah. half the videos you send me privately as well. Same thing. I was like, last night, I think there were six. I go through, not available, not available. I'm like, that means you send me the good <laughs> shit, brother. There have been, been some rough run, rough ones. My personal TikTok is a bit of a dark zone. I love it. Yeah, you're um, doing great. Keep it up, man. But um, yeah, no, it's it's been fun and it's been I've been getting a little more interested with it and trying to figure out the different hacks to get around tick to, to get around TikTok's algorithm because again, we've chatted about it before and like with my content stuff that it's like half of my content, like every single social media platform tries to nuke 
because it's <laughs> animal abuse. Like, and it's like, yeah, it's literally the oldest oldest profession besides prostitution. Like, <laughs> it's good to hang in there. Yeah, 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 yeah almost oldest. Um, but no, I appreciate that, and I appreciate everyone else who's watching. If you are watching this, obviously you're on YouTube. If you're not subscribed to the page, please subscribe it, like the video. If you're listening, I'm on YouTube at, at Backwoods Butcher 603, as well as um, TikTok, Instagram. Um, you can also listen to this podcast on Fountain as well. I have not started a rumble, or I think I have a Rumble account, but I started it like four years ago and I haven't done anything with it. And I need to add it to the list kind of thing. Um, but Tim, I appreciate you coming on. And for everybody listening, thank you for being here and we will talk to you next time.